Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, so I know it is raining up in here, so we, we got to get to it, okay? We have done a lot, and this is one of my most favorite days. I am so excited about what we are going to experience together right now. And matter of fact, turn to the person next to you and let them know, you better be excited. You better be excited. Little boy, you better be excited. It's going to be good. And, and not because I'm good. That, that has nothing to do with it. It's because God is good. God is good. So here's the deal. Uh, we have talked about a lot. And the whole reason why we talked about the things we did this week, the whole reason why we talked about not letting shame get the best of you, the whole reason why we talked about you belonging, the whole reason why we talked about you having a purpose yesterday was because of today. Because today we are not just making sure you don't give up, but now it's time to turn our focus somewhere else. It is time to talk about what hope really is. Anybody know what hope really is? What is hope? Yep, yep. Girl, you're going to have to speak into the mic. I can't understand you. Um, when you wish for something. When you wish for something. Okay, okay, that, that's uh, kind of, kind of, you're on the right track. Let me give you guys a quote. I, I'll give you a quote. I'll give you a quote. A guy by the name of Desmond Tutu. He says this, and you know, since it's raining hard, you know the Lord's about to show up. Just all of a sudden, we're going to be praying, and then lightning's going to come down. We're all going to be dead, but that's okay. We'll be with Jesus. See, I told you. I told you. The Lord knows. He knows. <laughs> I've never seen so many people be excited to die. <laughs> They're like, yes, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. I feel like a cult leader right now. All right. Let me, let me focus. All right. So. This guy by the name of Desmond Tutu, he says this. Hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness. All right, let me give you guys some facts right now. Let me give you some facts. Did you guys know in this country they estimate that over 160,000 students call into their schools every day during the school year and say, they don't want to go to school that day because they're afraid of the things people are going to say about them. They're afraid of the things people are going to do to them. 160,000 every single school day don't want to go to school because they're afraid they're going to be alone. Did you guys know that in this country, they estimate that you can buy a person in this country for $90? You can buy somebody in this country for $90. Matter of fact, there's an app that I could just pull up right now and I could see the nearest boy or girl that's being sold probably just a couple miles away from here. There's an app for that and you can buy them for $90. Did you guys know that right now on this planet, they estimate that we have the most slaves on our planet than any other time in human history? There are over 3 million slaves right here in the U.S. And out of those 3 million slaves, they estimate that over 300,000 of them are all under the age of 17 years old. 300,000, and we're not talking about people that are being shipped in, we're talking about students just like you. This world is dark. 
we live not only in a dark place, but we live in a dark time in human history right now. But I believe there is hope. And the reason why I believe that is because of my mama. Now, here's the deal. As I told you guys before, my mom, she was a single mom for a little while. And so uh, growing up, she, she, like, had to go and work full time. And so a lot of days, I didn't get to see my mom before she went to work. But one of the things that my mom used to do, she used to take one day out of the week and she would watch me walk to school. We lived close enough where I could walk to my uh, elementary. I could walk to my junior high school. And so my mom, one day out of the week, I'll never forget it, I would wake up all early in the morning. And I'm like, oh, what's, what's going on? I don't, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, I could smell it. I can smell that my mom was home. And I knew she was home because I smelt French toast. French toast is the best breakfast of all time. So, I would wake up in the morning, and I would start to smell the French toast smell. I'm like, mm, my mama's home. My mama, my mama is cooking me French toast. I got to go. And so, I would go downstairs, and of course, my mom was there. She had a plate of French toast, and she'd be like, baby, I got a plate just for you. I would sit out and be like, oh, snap, my mama loves me. And my mom and I, we would sit there, and we would watch, like, Phil Donahue in the morning. Y'all don't know about that, but all the other people do. But here's the thing. My mom, as she is sitting there, she's talking to me. I used to make my mom laugh, and my mom, she had a special name for me. She's like, mm, Terrence, you're my funny, special little boy. And I'm like, yes, I'm my mama's funny, special little boy. And honestly, if somebody was to call me that right now, I would drop kick you in your throat. But when my mom said that, it just made me feel so special. And then my mom, before I would go to school, she would pack a bag lunch for me. She would put my name on that lunch, and I would go to school, and I'd be walking, and my mom, she'd be standing there waving goodbye to me. And my mom, if she was here right now, she would tell you. She'd be like, I waved goodbye to him until I couldn't see him no more. And so one day, I waited because I was like, okay, I'm going to see if my mama really loves me. And so I was walking to school, and I turned around to see in the mirror or in the window, and I could see my mom. She's sitting there, and she's like, bye, baby. I love you. I'm like, okay, we're going to see. We're going to see about this, okay? And so I would walk a block away. Next thing I know, I turned around. I couldn't even hear my mom, but I could see her mouth the words, like, okay, okay, let's see. I would walk a little bit further. Next time, I could only see a speck in the window. But sure enough, I saw. I was like, oh, snap, my mama loves me. And, of course, I would get to lunch. I would pull out that bag with my name on it. Some kids, they'd be like, oh, look, I got tuna salad. This is stinking. But for me, I would pull out a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And, of course, my mom would have a note on that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And she said, Terrence, you're my special funny little boy. And I'd be like, mm, you got tuna salad, but I got love. Come on. I knew my mom loved me. But the thing about it was this. I transitioned from elementary school to junior high school. Now, I know it's different in every place that you go. My elementary school went from kindergarten to sixth grade, and junior high was seventh grade to ninth grade. And for some, junior high, and for some reason, when I entered junior high school, that is when drama was brought into my life. How many of you guys understand drama? Yes.
Yes. Okay. Here's the deal. I would go to junior high, and at this point, I told my mom, don't, don't make me a bag lunch. I need a hot meal. I want to be able to get a... Ooh, snap. That was scary. Come on. I was like, give me a hot... I want to buy my lunch. I want to be like one of the cool kids. Now, the thing about it was this. I had this friend in junior high, and her name was Emily. And Emily was like my bestie, you know? And she didn't, I didn't like like her like that. It wasn't like I was like, mm, let me date Emily. No, she was just a friend of mine. She was a really good friend. But the thing about this friend was this. Emily knew all the drama that was going on in the school. She knew it all. So when I used to come to my locker, she would just show up. She'd be like, boom. Oh, oh. I'm, I'm thinking I'm getting shot. I'm like, oh, what? what's up? I'm sitting in my locker, right, and Emily, she would just show up. She'd be like, mm, Terrence, did you know what happened at this party this weekend? I'm like, no, tell me what happened at the party. She's like, well, this girl, she kissed this guy, but she's actually going out with this dude. I'm like, for real? Get out of town. And I knew I wasn't a part of the drama. I just wanted to hear about it because it's exciting to hear about drama that you were not involved in. So I was like, yes, tell me all the drama. And, of course, one day I came to school and the drama was about me. I'm sitting at my locker. Next thing I know, Emily just pops up. I'm like, hey, girl, what's up? She goes, Terrence, did you hear? And I'm like, no, I did not hear because I just got here. What's up? She goes, Terrence, Jamie Shriek likes you. And I was like, for real? She's like, for real. I was like, get out of town. She's like, yes. Now, you guys got to understand, Jamie Shriek, uh, her name fit who she was. Okay, first of all, I got to stop using real people's names. I, I, okay, if anybody knows Jamie Shriek in here, I'm sure she's a nice person right now. But back in the day, she had a voice that, like, every time she talked, it, like, it had that, like, hey, my name is Jamie. And it was like, oh, what's wrong with you? And she had, like, crazy hair all the time. She didn't even care about doing her hair. She would just show up to school and be like, I'm here, what's up? And for some reason, Jamie Shriek liked me. And so Emily, she was like, okay. Jamie Shriek's going to ask you out. You need to tell her no. And I was like, of course I'm going to tell her no. I don't like Jamie Shriek. I'm going to tell her no. Easy as that. She goes, Terrence, say it with me. No. I'm like, girl, we ain't in school. Well, actually, we, we are in school. But I was like, I got it. No. She's like, Terrence, no. N-O. I was like, girl, I know I'm a grown man. I'm 13 years old. Of course I'm going to say no. Shut the door. Emily went. And so I was like, oh, I got to go back into my locker. I went into my locker. I shut my locker door for the last time. And all of a sudden, Jamie Shriek was right there. And I turned around. I was like, oh, girl, what are you, a vampire? What's up? What's up? And she goes, Terrence, I want to go out with you. I was like, for real? She's like, yes. Will you go out with me? You want to be my boyfriend? And I remember, Emily and I, we talked about this. I remember practicing saying no. So I looked at Jamie, and I said, Jamie, okay. I don't, I don't know why I said yes. I, okay, guys, you understand. Some guys understand. You don't want to break a girl's heart, and it's hard to break a girl's heart. So, of course, I'm thinking, okay, I'll say yes right now, but then later on she'll just learn that she doesn't like me and she'll dump me and everything will be okay. But for some reason, the more and more Jamie and I started to date, the more she just fell in love with me. And I don't know why. I was the worst boyfriend ever. Matter of fact, I'll never forget it. This is, this is actually a true story. She, like, wrote me a note 
telling me to meet her by the gas station by our school. I don't know if that's like the most romantic spot or what. And so I went there, and when I got to the behind the gas station, she's like, all right, Terrence, we're going to kiss today. And I had never kissed a girl up until this point. So I'm like, okay, and I'll never forget. She put her lips out like this, and I got closer and closer. And the minute I got, like, right up to her face, I was like, uh, I'm sorry, I got to go do homework. I'm sorry. And I ran away. I don't know why I was afraid to kiss a girl. And so I was, like, the worst, worst boyfriend. But the thing about it is, as time went on, this made Emily even more upset and more upset. And then one day, it all went down. And I'll never forget it. I'm standing by my locker. And Jamie, she is just talking at me, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. And then all of a sudden, Emily turned the corner. And when Emily turned the corner, it was like my, my spider sense, it began to tingle. And I was like, oh, snap, this is not a good situation. We need to go. So I turned to Jamie, and I was like, hey, Jamie, I know you're talking, but we need to leave right now. She's like, hold on, Terrence. I'm telling you a story. I'm like, I know, but I feel that somebody's life is in danger, and we need to go. And then next thing I knew, Emily was right behind Jamie, and she was just walking along. And as she was walking along, Emily was just trying to mind her business, and she just put her head up, and she began to walk. And then Jamie, she turned around to look at Emily. And as Emily began to walk by, and Emily's passing me, Jamie did that thing that girls do, that where they would just want to get underneath that girl's skin, and she goes, mm-hmm, that's what I thought. And I was like, no! Why would you say that right now? And it was like time slowed down. It was like in the movies where all of a sudden I saw a hand come out of nowhere and grabbed the back of Jamie's head, pulled her down to the ground. Next thing I knew, I saw Emily raise her fist up in the air. Everybody around me is like, fight, fight, fight. I'm sitting there, and I didn't know what to do in that moment. And the first thing that came to my mind was, I got to get to class. I can't deal with this right now. I got to go. And I ran away. Next thing I knew, I heard people screaming. Teachers are running down the hallway. I got to my class. I sat down. There's a kid. There's always a kid that knows everything that's going on. He goes, Terrence, did you see the fight that just happened? I'm like, no, nah, man. I'm just trying to get my education. I need to learn. Leave me alone. Next thing I knew, I get home that night. Whew. Fire. I get home that night, and I'm like, okay, I got to give Emily a call. That was totally unnecessary. Why did she have to do what she did? And so, of course, I dialed Emily up on the phone. Beep, boop, bop, boop, 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 We had older phones back in the day. And then, of course, Emily picks up, and I go, Emily, why did you do that today? I mean, why did you have to fight her? No girl deserves to get punched in the head that many times. Why would you do that? And all of a sudden, there's a pause. And Emily goes, Terrence, you know I like you, right? And I'm like, Emily, I was like, I don't understand. Why does everybody like me? I don't understand why. Not like that. Not like, everybody loves Terrence. Not like that. But I'm like, I don't understand why Jamie likes me. I don't understand why you like me. I don't get it. And then Emily goes, and I'll never forget what she said. You go. There's a lot of clips in that one. And she goes, Terrence, 
Everybody knows that you make them feel special. But today, you didn't make me feel very special. And then that's when it hit me. The reason why my mom did all the things that she did for me, the reason why my mom called me her special funny little boy, the reason why she took one day out of the week to sit down with me and to make me breakfast in the morning, it was because my mom, she wasn't trying to make me feel proud about myself. She was trying to make it so when I went to school, I showed that to other people. But I got so caught up in the drama of everything else that was going on that I forgot my real purpose. I forgot what I was supposed to be doing at school. Listen, the reason why we talked about the things we did, the reason why we sat there and said that you are good enough, the reason why we told you that you belong to somebody is not so you can have a big head and go, yep, I'm special. No, it's because you need to give that to other people. You need to let people know that there is hope. You know what hope is? Hope is the Jesus that is within you. Matter of fact, Jesus says it like this. There's a verse, and we're going to make this very easy today. I'm only going to talk about one verse and one verse only. And it's in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, and it says this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. And when Jesus said this, it wasn't like, hey, you're the light of the world. This is going to be good on a t-shirt. He did not say it like that. This is a responsibility that we have. And matter of fact, this is so important. I'm just going to stick to this one verse, and I'm going to break down every single part of this verse. So every single person in here, you know why Jesus said what he said. These, this is how you are the light of the world. Way number one is this. The first verse goes like this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. All right. If you guys are going to be a light, you have to understand the whole job of a light is to help people that are lost be found. Check this out. The reason why Jesus said, uh, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. See, there is a city called Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is surrounded by desert, okay? And I don't know if anybody's ever been to the desert or not, but the desert is a very, very lonely place. Because first of all, there are no trees. There's nothing to block all the elements. So if it's raining in the desert, which it rarely does, but if it rains in the desert, that means you can't find protection from anything that's coming towards you. But the, also the crazy thing about the desert is... At night, it gets really, really cold and really, really dark. So if you are lost in the desert, this is an easy way that bandits can come, sneak up on you, take all your stuff, and leave you out in the desert. And a lot of times, people died in the desert. And during that time, anytime people got lost and they didn't know where to go, they would tell them to look towards the lights of Jerusalem. Go towards Jerusalem. Check this out. Um, like I told you guys before, uh, I work with an organization that fights human trafficking here in the United States. And so I've gotten the opportunity to go around and talk to people that fight human trafficking. And one of the couples I'll never forget meeting is Doug and Fran. 
Now, Doug and Fran, they run a safe house because, see, the problem is that there are not a lot of safe houses around in the country. Remember, there are over uh, 300,000 just kids under the age of 17 years old that are being in traffic right now. But a safe house is a place that they can go and get the things that they need to try to get their life back. But there are only about 100 houses in the country. That's it. Only 100. So if God was to save over 300,000 people right now today, we would have nowhere to put them. So Doug and Fran, they have their house open. And they say, hey, anybody that is lost, anybody that needs, the, needs help, you can come to our house. So one day, I'll never forget it, I went to go visit Doug and Fran with my friend Lowell. And I remember their house was in Montana. Now, I have never been to Montana before. So I'm like excited. I'm like, oh, snap, we're going to go visit Montana. So I'll never forget. Uh, I got off the plane. My friend picked me up mountains everywhere looking beautiful i'm like oh man this is so cool but we started to drive and as we're driving we're driving one hour we were driving two hours and all of a sudden the mountains were not cool no more the mountains began to get scary to me and i was like mm-hmm, i have seen this movie before the black guy dies first i am staying inside this car all of a sudden we turned the corner of this mountain and all of a sudden out of nowhere, it's just like a whole house. It's like a ranch. There are horses running around. There's like a shed. There's a big house. And so we drive over to this place. And next thing I know, this dude comes walking out. And this is Doug. The thing that you need to know about Doug is this. Doug was like an ex biker gang member. And I don't mean like, oh yeah, he's part of the cool, nice biker gang people. No, this dude used to deal meth. This dude is like 6'5", and he has the old school white goatee, and he's got the old school flat top. And most of the time, anytime I see somebody with a flat top, I'm like, hey, you like the party. But when I see an old white guy with a flat top, I'm like, ooh, you like to kill people. All right, all right. I was scared. This dude is 6'5". All of a sudden, I get out the car. He looks at me, and he goes, you must be Terrence. I was like, not if you're going to kill me. And all of a sudden, he picks me up, and he squeezes me. And he's like, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm like, I can't breathe no more. And he was just like, let me show you around. So he begins to show us around, and he shows us where they have all the horses. And I guess horses can be very therapeutic for people that have gone through traumatic experiences. And so they teach the girls that when they come, they can teach them how to ride horses, how to take care of the horses, and then it helps them as well. But the cool thing is he brings us inside this house, and every single room in this house has, like, a theme. So, like, one room has a princess theme, and it feels like you're walking into, like, a Disney movie, and like the bed is in, like, a canopy. And then there's another room that has a jungle theme, and it's like you're sleeping in the jungle. I wouldn't want to sleep in there, but some people do. And But the coolest room in the house was this room that he took us downstairs, and there was a legit movie theater downstairs in their basement. And before you walk into the movie theater, there is a wall filled with all sorts of candy, all sorts of drink, any kind of candy, all the kind of like uh, gummy bears, gummy worms, sour patch kits, everything you can think of is right there. And he's like, hey, sometimes we have movie nights and we just tell the girls, you can pick out whatever you want. And so the girls will pick out all their candy and they'll go in and watch their movie. And so after he gives us this tour, we go into his living room and we sit down and we're like, okay, how can we help you? How can we make sure that you have the things you need in order to take care of these girls? And as he begins to talk, all of a sudden, his phone rings. Now, you got to understand, there are only 100 beds in this country for people to go to. 
And so everybody that fights human trafficking in this country, they know that Doug and Fran could be one of the people that will be able to house girls. So every time their phone rings, they know they have to pick up the phone. This could be a girl that needs to be rescued. So Doug goes, hold on, let me get that. And he goes, he picks up the phone, and I'll never forget it. He goes, hello? Yep. Okay. I just want to talk to her. Just let me talk to her. Okay. He waits for a little bit, and all of a sudden, he changes. He goes, hey, hey, how are you? We, we just want to help you, that's all. We, we just, we're just here to help. I, I hope you can come and meet my wife. All right. Bye. Hangs up the phone. He walks back to his chair. He sits down. This ex-biker gang member, 6'5", begins to just cry. And he is sobbing. All of a sudden, he goes, on the phone, it was six-year-old girl who began to get molested when she was a year and a half by her dad. And in his tears, he goes, who would do that to a little girl? What's out there that would make somebody want to do that to this little girl? And he goes, and she had been doing this for so long that the only way that she knew how to talk to another man was sexually. And he goes, the whole time as I'm on the phone with her, she's trying to sell her body to me. He goes, I don't know why people would do this to her. When I think of Doug and Fran, I think about that city on a hill. I think about how their, their light is shining and they're saying, who's ever out there, if you are lost in the darkness, you can come. You will find your way back with us. My question to you today is this, are you a light in your school? Are you a light in your family? When people are lost, will they come to you? Because this is not just being a Christian and it's like, hey, I'm happy. No, you've got a job to do. You've got to be a light to the darkness that is around you. Because as you can see, this world is very, very dark. We need your light, and it doesn't, your light doesn't just work when you become 12. Your light doesn't work when you reach a certain age or have a certain job. Your light starts now. The minute you say, Jesus, come into my heart, then your light is turned on, and it shows around to everybody. Are they coming to you when they're lost? Remember, lights help people that are lost find their way. The second reason why you can be a light, is this. Lights don't hide from darkness. It fights it. See, um, there's a, a, a verse, actually, and I know um, the second part of that is, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Okay, the reason why Jesus said this, and I remember I was confused about this. I was like, Jesus, why in the world are you talking about lighting lamps and putting them underneath bowls? That doesn't make any sense. And it actually brought me to a story 
of Gideon. And I don't know if you guys know the whole story of Gideon, but the thing about Gideon is this, that Gideon, he was part of an army. As a matter of fact, when God finds Gideon, he is running away from the battle. And then when God finds him, he goes, hey there, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, for real? I just ran away from battle. You're calling me a mighty warrior? And God's like, nope, I'm going to use you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to gather all the people, and I want you to begin to march towards the people. And he's like, all right. So he gathers all this army, and then God's like, you know what? You've got way too many people. And God's, or Gideon's like, for real? He's like, for real. You know what? Matter of fact, since I don't like dogs, everybody that drinks water like a dog, you got to let them go home. And, of course, God doesn't like dogs. I'm just kidding. I'm sure God likes I just don't like dogs. So, uh, literally, all the people that are drinking water like dogs, Gideon sends them home. And then all of a sudden, God's like, you know what? you still got too many people to fight this battle with. Gideon's like, for real? You guys got to understand, they're going to fight this major, major battle, and God's telling him, you've got too many people to fight with. So, of course, he gets rid of uh, almost half his army. All of a sudden, he's left with a fraction of the people that he had with him. And God goes, now you're ready to go fight that battle. So God gives him the plan. He goes, what you're going to do, you're going to surround their city. You're going to take some torches. You're going to light them. You're going to put them underneath a bowl. And when it's time, I want you to break that bowl and to yell for the glory of God. So they do that. They break the bowls, the torches light. And as a matter of fact, all the people in the city, they get so scared by this that they start fighting each other. And they're just like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And they start attacking one another. And then all of a sudden, the whole battle is won, and they didn't even have to pick up their own swords. Why is this story important? Why did Jesus tell his people this about a a lamp underneath the bowl? It's simple. Because it's not about you. God used Gideon in that way because he wanted to show him, I don't care how much power you think you have. I can use whatever you have, and I can make victory happen. You don't have to be the person that knows all the Bible verses. You don't have to be the person that's been a Christian for years on end, and now you can start telling people about Jesus. No, whatever you have, whatever you're bringing to it, God, the funny thing is, he doesn't want to use things that are pretty and perfect. He wants to use things that are broken. He wants to use things that say, I can't do this without God. And God goes, yep, you're right. You can't do it without me. Matter of fact, I know, I know you, you came up, and we'll, we'll continue with the music. I like the music, but I still got a little bit to go, so it's all right. We're going to do this, though. The reason why this is important to me is this. Uh, it was a couple of years ago. Uh, I was in Nebraska. I was doing a camp in Nebraska, and for some reason, why is every single camp in the woods? I'm like, shoot, y'all are trying to scare a black man. So I'm like doing this camp. It's the last night of the camp. I'm saying goodbye to all the kids, and then all of a sudden, this little boy comes up to me, and he goes, he's about 12 years old, and he goes, "Uh, Pastor Terrence, can I talk to you? And I'm like, sure, man, what's up? And he goes, can I talk to you in private? And I'm like, okay. And so he begins to go outside, and I follow him, and he begins to go a little bit in the woods, and I'm like, hey, 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 little boy, you come back here. Let me tell you something. I am a grown man. You are a little boy. I'm not going to follow you in the woods. We're going to stay right here. What's up? He looks at me and he goes, Terrence, do you have an older brother? And the minute he said that to me, I began to cry. Because like I told you guys, I do. I have two older brothers. And the brother I told you guys about, Bug, it was a couple of years ago. Um, 
my brother, he was involved in the military. And matter of fact, um, he got a girl pregnant when he was 15 years old. And when he got the girl pregnant when he was 15 years old, my, my brother, he wanted to be a good dad. So at 15, he dropped out of school and he got a job in order to support his new family. But at 15 years old, you can't raise a family by yourself. And so my brother, he struggled and he struggled for years until finally he became 18 or 19 years old. And he thought the best way that he can, like, take care of his family was by joining the military. Now, don't get me wrong. There are great reasons to join the military. But my brother, he thought maybe this would be the best way financially I can take care of my family. And three months after... After my brother joined the military, that's when 9-11 happened. And I'll never forget, my mom and I were standing in the kitchen. We're watching everything happen on the news. And my mom, she's bawling because she knows that her baby's going off to war. My brother served in the military for about 12 years. And when he got out, he dealt a lot with post-traumatic stress. Now, I don't know if you guys know what post-traumatic stress is, but it's when you go through a traumatic event in your life, and a lot of times people will go towards drugs. A lot of times people will go towards alcohol. And so my brother, he began to dabble in a lot of different things until one day the police came knocking on his door. He went to court, and he was facing going to prison for over 12 years. Now, I want to tell you guys I travel around the country all the time, and I tell people, hey, no matter what's going on, there's hope. No matter what's happening in your life, there is hope for you. But when it came to my own family, I always had a hard time telling them because it's my brother, and I looked up to him. I I didn't know how to get these words out. I didn't know how to preach Jesus to him like the way I probably should have. And so it was the day before my brother's about to be sentenced. He gave me a phone call, and I struggled throughout the whole conversation. But at the end of the conversation, I just said, hey, man, I love you. And he goes, I love you too, Terrence. Hung up the phone. It was three hours later. I got the phone call. My brother gave up on the hope of life. He took his own life. And I felt so guilty. I felt like this was my fault. I could have said something more to him. I should have gave him one of the speeches that I give the students across the country. Why didn't I do this? Until when I got this 12-year-old boy asking me if I've got an older brother, I'm sitting here and I'm crying and I'm telling him what just happened. And then all of a sudden this kid, he looks at me and he goes, Terrence, I have an older brother too, and he's 21 years old, and he drinks, and he's addicted to meth. I don't know what to do. So I got down on my knees. I looked this kid in his eyes, and I go, as soon as you get home, you tell your brother you love him. As soon as you get home, you tell your brother about Jesus. He goes, I will, Terrence. I will. That was on a Thursday night. Monday morning, I get a Facebook message from that same kid, and he goes, Terrence, I just had to tell you, I had the hardest conversation of my life with my brother this weekend, but I told him everything that you told me to tell him. I told him how much I loved him. I told him how much there was a plan for him. I told him about the love of Jesus, and he goes, my brother sobbed throughout the whole conversation, and as soon as I got done, my brother looked at me and said, I didn't know somebody loved me like that. And in that moment, he goes, my brother gave his life to Jesus. And he goes, that night, I got to go with my brother to go to a treatment center to turn himself in so he wouldn't do it again. Students, you have power. 
If you have the love of Jesus in you, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can make a difference. You can help somebody see that hope and realize they need Jesus too. You don't need to be a professional speaker. You don't need to have to go around or travel. All you need to do is look towards the people next to you and go, I can share Jesus to that person, and it will make a difference. It doesn't matter how old you are. Remember, God uses the broken. God uses the ones that go, I can't do this without you. And he goes, I know. That's why I'm here. Last is if you want to be a light, you got to remember, lights are always warm, and people like warm things. The last part of that verse says this. In the same way, let your light shine before ever others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. All right. This reason why what I think about when I read that verse is a couple years ago, and actually uh, the guy you guys met, Ben Comer, he was actually there when this happened. Um, we are going to the school, and we're doing assemblies about uh, human trafficking. And usually for the human trafficking assembly, they'll bring out a survivor that survived human trafficking, and they'll talk to the kids. And so my plane was the first one to get there, so I was the first person to arrive at the school. And so I was like, all right, I guess everybody's going to come. And so I got up there, and I did my part. I'm usually the, the funny guy, and I tell a funny story, and then I open it up for the more serious stuff to come through. Well, I get done doing my part. They play a video. I walk off the stage, and they go, hey, everybody's plane got stuck, so you've got to finish this. And I go, okay, hold up. We're talking about finishing an assembly about trafficking. I have never been trafficked in my life. How am I going to finish an assembly about trafficking? And they're like, you got to think of something. And this was the first time that God said, you need to tell a story about your dad. I was like, uh, Lord, this is a trafficking assembly. I can't tell a story about my dad. That'd be weird. He goes, no, you need to tell a story about your dad. And I'm like, okay. So that's when I first got up there, and I started to talk about the importance of a dad hug. And I gave that same invitation. Hey, I was like, I, I know this is not usually the place, but if you know you need that dad hug, that mom hug, that friend hug, I want you to come on down, and I want you to get a hug for me. And sure enough, all these kids started to line up to get a hug. And the reason why I remember this story, because it was the first time I turned around, and the first girl that I went to go give a hug to, she put her hand out, and she goes, stop. Before you give me a hug, you have to know what's happened. She goes, when I was about two, three years old, my dad began to molest me. She goes, he molested me all the way until I was 12 years old. And the only reason why he stopped was because he got caught, and he's in prison now. And she goes, that was the only kind of love that I ever knew in my life. So as soon as he went to prison, she goes, I started to sell myself on the street to get that same kind of love that my dad gave me. She goes, if you hug me, you will be the first man to ever touch me and not want anything sexually from me. So I took that girl... I gave her the biggest hug that I could, and she cried on my shoulder for like five minutes. There were hundreds and hundreds of kids lined up to get a hug, but she sat there, and she cried. And as soon as we were done, I turned to her, and I go, you want to know what I believe? And she goes, what? I go, I believe that God brought me here for a reason, to let you know that your Father in heaven loves you. And I'm sorry for what has happened, but God wants to do something different with you today. And if you want... 
you can make God your father right now. Do you want that? And she goes, yes, I do. And right there and there, I prayed with her to receive Jesus in her heart. But the cool thing about it was it was six months later, I get a Facebook message from this girl. And she goes, Terrence, I want to tell you that that day changed my life. She goes, as soon as I got done with school that day, I found the closest church to my house, and I am there every single chance I can get. She goes, Terrence, I stopped selling myself on the street because now I realize that my real love comes from my Father in heaven. Thank you for letting me know how much God loves me. Lights are warm. Everybody likes things are warm. You don't have to argue for God. God's a big God. He can fight his own battles. But what can you can do for God, you can love other people. You can let them know that whenever they need a hug, I could be that person to give a hug. You don't need to be a dad to give a dad hug. You can always give people a hug to let them know, hey, no matter what, I care about you. You are not alone. So today, as we close, I'm going to invite the worship band back up. I'm going to invite each and every one of you to be that light that you were meant to be. We talked this week about all these things, not so you can feel proud about yourself, but so you can go and give it to other people. Because remember, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here's the deal. Today is the last day of camp. But this is what I'm going to ask you guys to do. I want everybody to stand up. And matter of fact, uh, I want you guys to come here. Everybody come here. 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 Get close. I know it's muddy. You're on a campground. You should expect this. And as you guys are coming forward, the reason why I want you guys to come forward is simple. I don't want you to leave the same way you came in. I, I did not come to this camp just so I could give some high fives and peace out of here. No. I want you guys to know you really are the light of the world. When we ask what is hope, hope is simple. Hope is you if you got Jesus. So here's the deal. I was having a conversation right now, uh, last night, and it reminded me that the reason why I share the stories that I share, the reason why I'm very personal about the things that I've gone through with, and I share that, is simple. Because I don't want people to look and say, yeah, he could do that. I can't do what he does. He's, he's been perfect. He's gone through school. No, I'm, I'm not a professional Christian. I'm, I'm a broken Christian. But God uses the broken. It doesn't matter what you have been through. It doesn't matter what kind of drama you have in your past. God can use you. Not only can he, he wants to. You are the light of the world. So as we go into this time of worship, I want you to think to yourself, as you're praising God, ask him, God, who is it I'm supposed to reach when I get back? 
God, who is it that you have put in my heart to say you need to go give them a light? Who is it that I need to go give a hug to? Who is it that I need to make sure that they know that they are not alone in this darkness? Who, Lord, who? And as you're worshiping and as you're praising, I know that your God, he, he hears your requests about other things, but when you pray about other people, that makes him more excited. He's like, yes, all right, let's do this. You're ready to go because remember, you are the light of the world. Do not be afraid about the things that are out there. You have a God that is with you. And if God is with you, who could be against you? You've got this. You can do this. You can change the world. So do it. And do it without fear. Do it without hesitating. Everything that you need is in the word of God. If you got his word and you've got him in your heart, you can do this. I'm going to pray, then we're going to worship, and as you're worshiping, just ask God, God, who is it that you want me to reach? Lord, we just come before you right now, and God, I just thank you. I thank you so much for letting us be a part of you changing the world, reaching out to those that are lost. God, I pray that you will give us such a deep, deep burden for those that are around us. Lord, I pray that you will give each and every one of us a mission. Lord, I know that each person in here, they're called. Some of them are going to call to go do business. Some of them are going to be called to go be teachers. Some of them are going to be called to go be evangelists. But it doesn't matter what their job title is, for Lord, our life mission is to tell people about you. Period. Doesn't matter what you do, the sole goal, Lord, is to tell people about you. And so, Lord, I pray that you will begin to stir some dreams in here. That, Lord, that you will begin to give some pictures and they will be able to see the faces that they're supposed to reach. And, Lord, I pray as they go and reach them, that, Lord, they are not scared. And even if they are scared, they're like, no, my commitment to what God wants me to do is way bigger than whatever fear I have. Lord, I thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.